Koa has been making me go to that haunted house in our neighborhood that is just a house that has like decorations galore. And there's like scary clowns trying to hug you. Everything's automated. There's a zombie section. There's a clown section. There's a tree they've wrapped in webs that has like crazy things hanging from it that have been webbed. Um, but Koa makes me walk to this house no less than two times a day. <laughs> Cries when we leave. But also when we're there, closes his eyes for some of the time because he feels overwhelmed and scared. And then also just asks to stay and be held and like rocked while he looks at all the scary things. Oh my God, he's And then when we leave, he's like, I have to go back. He can't say like scary or whatever. Um, He can't verbalize what it is. So he's come up with like a sound that means he wants to go there. And it's this. He'll go. And like point to the stairs and be like. And just make like a. I'm it's, scared, crazy, stuttery sound, and it like, means he wants to go to the haunted house. I've it's heard so him weird. Do it, and it sounds like a combination between a ghost going like "ooh" and Snow White being like ah. "yeah," like nervous laughter. Ah. Totally, totally. It's so good. Right, we should introduce the show and who we at are. At some point. Yeah, I figure that's like a habit. That's we'll, so we'll good. We'll get into that eventually. Well, welcome to Truly Darkly, Darkly Creepy. Creepy. Oh, we did that whole one together. That was really special. Was We're so glad you guys are back. We can't believe you're here. We can't believe you joined us on this gurney. We miss you. We love you. Oh, we want to embrace so you with tales from the crypt <laughs> tm we don't have rights to you're that. right we, we don't not, have rights to tales not what crypt. it is <laughs> but we wish the crypt keeper was here wouldn't that be funny if we opened my closet and there was just like a skeleton in there staring at us i'm very afraid of the crypt keeper that was like a that was scary for me but you're on your did porch. you watch you goosebumps basically have were... oh hell yeah yeah what was your favorite goosebumps episode if I'm honest, I don't even think I could tell you an episode. I don't know. It was That's funny. I remember when Goosebumps was like really big and I was more into reading Christopher Pike books okay. because that they were even darker and definitely had weird sex stuff, which made me feel like really <laughs> adult. So I enjoyed that. Well, also like how old were you when you were reading these? 12. Formative sexual years for a girl. Me, yeah, my formative sexual years happened in my 20s. Like I, I gotta be honest with you. She was a late bloomer. And by she, I mean me. And that's when you started on Christopher Pike? I, and Christopher Pike, he's honestly, I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? I'm still pretty stunted. It's dark. I only do shows with the sex ladder. in the title because it's the thing I'm lacking. <laughs> it's the thing I'm lacking. Are you going to tell me a long story? I'm nodding right now. She's nodding. It's going to be a long one, folks. Buckle up. I should just uh, dive in to the story of the Grimes sisters. The Grimes? The Grimes sisters. Wait, can I ask a question about this story? 100%. Does somebody get glued to their own sofa by not moving? (laughs) No. I love... There is a woman woman named Gail Grimes. Gail Grimes? was morbidly obese, stayed Gilbert Grape style on her sofa for so long... That her body grew into the sofa fibers, and they had to like figure out a way to. When she died, they. That my friend something. is truly darkly. I think that's real. That is truly dark. That has creepy. to be real. Why would that be in my? Who put that in my brain? If I it's think not real. If, if if I think anything is real, I'm like, oh, it was Law and Order SVU for sure. Well, no, hundred percent of the time, I think I'm like, this is real. When in doubt, Law and Order SVU. I'm so sorry. I guess Grimes is a name that brings all kinds of hardships well, or so I'm about to find so out. I'm like still in the process of like trying to figure out how to find stories and like looking them up. And so the first episode I did Lawrence Spear cause I had a connection to this. This one is a connection cause it's takes place in Chicago, not too far from where I'm from. Mm-hmm. 
So, this is a story of the Grimes sisters. And I don't want to say what happens in the title, so I'm just going to say the Grimes sisters. Okay. Leave it up. There are two sisters, Barbara and Patricia Grimes. Barbara is 15 years old and Patricia is 12. And they are two of seven children. And apparently these sisters are, like, inseparable. They're really good students. And most importantly, they're super hardcore fans of Elvis. Awesome. I mean... Because this happens December 28th, 1956. So place yourself in the 50s. Things I'm are in ideal. a poodle skirt. You're in a poodle skirt. You're in saddle shoes. I love um, saddle shoes. Love. And I look great in them. I bet you do. I bet you pull off of me. Me, I That's don't. Crazy. It just looks like cosplay. And a high pony. I look great in a high pony. That's 50s, right? Do I look okay in a high pony? I'm wearing a high pony right now. I'm wearing a scrunchie. It feels 80s. You look good. I look fine. We've established I look fine. Presentable. Presentable is a Presentable stretch. for the podcasting world. I am giving you podcast looks right now. It's like radio face. Okay, so December 28th, 1956, Barbara and Patricia went to go see Elvis Presley's film, Love Me Tender, at Brighton Park Theater. Now, this is the 11th time they've seen this movie. So when I'm saying they're standing Elvis, they are standing L this they love him mm-hmm. um so they left home at 7 30 at night and they promised their mom they'd be home at midnight and the theater is like one and a half miles away from their home they had two dollars and fifty cents which we know in 56 is like three million dollars so mm-hmm. yeah that's <laughs> that's the conversion she knows she's a scientist i'm a scientist 350 no the sisters had two dollars and fifty cents in their possession when they left home and something that i kept seeing which i thought was like super interesting and weird was that it was like Barbara was instructed to keep 50 cents of her the money in her wallet, in her zipper in her wallet, in case they wanted to view the second screening of the film that night. Which means they would see a double feature of the same movie, of the same movie which would make it then 11 and 12 times they're that they would fans. see them. So they're super fucking fans. Okay, so we do not know how they got to the theater, but probably a combo of walking and busing. Now, here's the thing that's peculiar to me. Basically, their mom was like, they're like, we'll be home by midnight. I don't know many 12-year-olds whose curfew is at midnight. I'm going to be totally honest with you. That feels peculiar to me, but maybe in the 50s, Opposite, things I were different. I, it's it's like a little weird, right? Yeah, like a 7.30 fucking curfew. That's crazy. So they left at 7.30, and they might have seen a double film. Okay. They were at the theater, and a school friend, Dorothy, which doesn't get more 50s than that, is sitting right behind them. And Dorothy left at 9.30, and when she left, she saw the Grimes sisters lining up to buy popcorn for, you guessed it, movie two. (laughs) So, like, full on. It's an aggressive. So they stayed for the second viewing of the movie, and so they should have returned home by 11.45 that night. When they didn't come home... Their mom, Loretta, that was her name again, these names are great, Loretta sent two of the other siblings to go to the bus stop to wait for Barbara and Patricia. She sent Joey, who is 14, and Teresa, who is 17 years old. So, presumably, they're awake as well. This family is like This family is like hot to trot, good times. And so, after three successive buses come without either of them, nothing. the siblings go back home, and they're like, they're not there. And so the mom kind of freaks out, rightfully so, calls all of, like, Barbara and Patricia's friends, and then ends up filing a missing persons report at 2.15 in the morning on December 29th. So feasibly, like, two hours after the girls went missing. And this is, like, this is the nice thing about the 50s. Missing people, it wasn't, like, a protocol. I mean, it's good and bad. So they had to, like, invent the wheel in a lot of ways. But they weren't, like, nowadays where, like, we have to wait 12 hours before it's technically a missing person. Yeah, they probably case. ran away. Well, I'll get to that. They do. So the investigation, it sparked one of the largest missing persons investigations in the history of Chicago. And some of the statistics are, like, actually mind-boggling. So right away, a citywide search was initiated. Hundreds of police officers were assigned full-time, and a task force was immediately created to find them. Twelve hours after they were gone, hundreds of volunteers joined the police to search for the girls. They went door-to-door canvassing. The canals and rivers were dragged. 15,000 flyers were distributed. The sisters' church parishioners offered $1,000 rewards for their whereabouts. And again, in 1950s, that's a billion dollars. It's one billion. It's one billion dollars. So from this investigation alone, 
300,000 people would be questioned and 2,000 people were subjected to serious interrogation. 2,000? 2,000. 300,000 were questioned, which is like bananas, right? Even with all the time and all the money, there is no hard evidence discovered. Nothing. So the girls were front page news on December 31st. Police did the thing where you're like, if you have any information, contact us. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of sightings. Now, I'm just going to go through the sightings that we have. Okay, so someone saw some girls getting on a bus after the show heading into the city halfway between their home and the theater on the night of the 28th, which is peculiar, right? So like... They saw them on a bus. They saw two young girls get on a bus in between their home and the theater and head further into the city. So away from their home. Mm. So that's peculiar because it's like, first of all, why did they get halfway and then take the wrong bus? And the other thing, too, is like maybe someone had a lapse in judgment. But this, it's like there's two girls and they're 15 and 12. So I know like you're not a genius at 12 and 15, but I feel like you don't know, you know which way the city is you know, versus I mean, home. Yeah, I feel like you know what bus they, to get. Like or they went to the movies all the time. They knew yeah. what they were up to with the bus. Parents were like, come home at midnight, come home at 4 a.m. You know what right. I mean? Like they were fine. Now, A couple other teenagers who were also at Brighton Theater on December 28th informed investigators that they had seen the sisters speaking with and then entering a car driven by a young man whose physical appearance had been similar to that of Elvis Presley. Wait. (laughs) Okay. So they, like, saw an Elvis lookalike and went with him. So, yeah. Then another story is... uh, Two other teenage boys said that approximately at 11.30 p.m. on December 28th, which is about the time they should have been walking home after Uh the double feature, that he had seen the sisters on 35th Street. And reportedly, the two had been giggling and jumping out of doorways at each other. And at this address that he spotted them, it was two blocks from their home. So they were on the way home, close to home. This one feels like the most credible because maybe I'm totally projecting but like as like a 12 and 15 year old like jumping out of doorways and giggling that feels more that feels like the grimes girls that feels like the grimes so a security guard came forward and offered directions to two curls on the morning of december 29th about 12 hours after they left the theater and he remembers them because both were rude and abrupt to him that is the noteworthy again we talked about this last week if you make any contact with people, always be rude. Be always rude. Be make a lot of noise. Do something crazy. Be aggressive. So they remember you. Act insane. A g g r e s s i b e aggressive. Another sighting was hours later by a cashier claiming to see the girls at twelve forty-five a.m. on December thirtieth. So these. So everybody's just saying they saw them. Yes, everybody's saying so. It's too crazy. Three hundred thousand people. A railroad conductor said he saw two girls and they were searching for two sailors named Terry and Larry. Um, Okay, that sounds made up for sure. (laughs) December 30th. Then he wrote a children's book. (laughs) December 30th, um, 5.30 a.m., the owner of a restaurant said he saw both girls with Patricia, the 12-year-old, apparently being too drunk or sick to walk without staggering, accompanied by this guy, Edward Bedwell. Okay, this one I believe. This location was over five and a half miles from the Brighton Theater. We will get back to Edward later. I knew Um, you would say that. He definitely did something weird. He did something weird, but we'll get back to that later. Now, on uh, January 1st, um, the girls were reported as being seen getting aboard a bus um, in Chicago on January 3rd. This is actually my favorite. On January 3rd, three employees at a department store claimed to have seen both girls listening to music at the store's record counter. Each employee stated that the girls had been listening to Elvis Presley. <laughs> oh my God. Elvis. So that you one, can't like, that you can't fucking make that. I mean, he was a popular icon. I mean, we might call him. The King of Rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't Coldplay. It wasn't Coldplay. They weren't listening to Fix You. You know what I mean? The next week, a night clerk at a hotel refused two girls a room because of their age. 
This clerk believes that the girls in question had been the Grimes sisters. I mean, people thought that the girls went to Nashville to be with Presley. A woman claims that she met both girls in a restroom in a random location on January 9th and then accompanied them to the state employment agency to work, look for work. Both girls looked tired and bedraggled. A clerk in this agency would later identify the sisters from the photographs, also recalling both girls used the surname Grimes in the application forms that they populated. So, like, weird, weird, what? weird. There's another one where, like, in Jan- on the early hours of January 14th, the parents of a classmate of Patricia, her mom, received two separate anonymous phone calls. The first one, she was like, hello. They hung up. No one. The second one, the mother heard a quote-unquote frightened and depressed young female voice asking, is that you, Sandra? Is Sandra there? Before Anne, the mother, could bring her daughter to the phone, the call ended. She believes the caller had been Patricia Grimes. So what I'm hearing you say, Carrie, so, so is that weird. this is a story about clones. <laughs> That's the spoiler. Is okay. there's a, You ruined it. Can we cut that out? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so... The mom did the mom thing of like a missing kid and she said, if someone is holding them, please let the girls call me. And she added, I'll forgive them from the bottom of my heart because they didn't know if the kids ran away or not. And this is crazy. On January 19th, 1957, an official statement was issued from Presley's Graceland Estates. This televised statement read, if you are good Presley fans, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries. Presley is also known to have made a direct radio plea to the Grimes sisters, imploring the girls to return home to their mother. Oh, that's so nice. So nice of the Presley estate, right? So after the plea from Graceland, an advice columnist from the Chicago Sun-Times received an anonymous letter allegedly written by a girl who claimed to have witnessed the sisters being forced into a car by a young male on the night of their disappearance. This letter was fruitless, but it did... I mean, do you want me to read the letter? That it was fruitless? No. No. Okay, great. I want the fruity. I mean, they all could be fruity. I don't want to spoil it, but it all could be fruity. So I'm going to read the letter. Outside the show, we all got out, got to talking, and we exchanged phone numbers. We got to the street. We turned off. We said goodbye, and we ran off across the street. Then Betty forgot something. She had to tell Barbara, and we ran back to the corner. A man, about 22 or 25, was talking to them. He pushed Barbara in the back seat of the car and Pat in the front seat. We got part of their license number as the car drove up by us. The first four numbers were 2184. Betty thinks there were three or four numbers after that. When we heard they were missing, we didn't know what to do. So this is like an anonymous letter. Mm. After the plea by Elvis, three days later, on January 22nd, 1957, It's Chicago winter, so it's really fucking cold, and the snow starts to thaw, and a construction worker named Leonard Prescott spotted what he calls, quote, um, these flesh-colored things on German Church Road, which is not far from where I live. Crazy description. Who says that? Some flesh-colored things. He initially thought they were mannequins, so he did what any brave man would do. He got his wife. Yeah. And he brought her back with him. Oh, you bet. You betcha. And uh, his wife, Marie, she fainted upon taking a closer look. They were the nude bodies of sisters Barbara and Patricia, and they were discovered alongside a deserted road in Willow Springs on January 22nd, 1957. The girls' bodies lay flat on this connection of snow-covered ground directly behind a guardrail, and it was like... 10 feet before like an incline into the embankment of what is called Devil's Creek, which Mm, interesting. Of course it is, you know, of course. So Barbara was found on her left side with her legs drawn slightly up towards her torso and Patricia lay on her back with her body covering her sister's head and her own head was turned sharply to the right. It is believed that the sister's had been driven to this location in a car with their bodies then being dragged or lifted out of the vehicle, then placed or thrown behind the guardrail. So they were dead when they got thrown there? Yes, they were dead. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. because they were completely naked. So there were three Well naked doesn't equal dead. That's true. That's true. Plenty of naked alive people. (laughs) 
the mock rocks, you birthed a naked alive person. It was gross. It was gross. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Next one will be fully clothed. Fully clothed. I mean, have and some decency. black tie. Like... I want a tire. It is a celebration. It is your first birthday. Like, yeah. if you're not showing up to dress the party... Dress for the occasion. Also, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. You don't want to be a baby. Your whole life. Your whole life. Shoot dress in a suit. Shoot for the fucking stars, kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Barbara and Patricia. So, there are three wounds resembling those typically inflicted by ice picks were discovered on Barbara's chest and injuries resembling blunt force trauma were visible upon her face. There was numerous injuries resembling bruises were discovered on Patricia's face and body. And this to me is like the most egregious. The police contacted their father to go to where their bodies were found to identify them. Hmm. That feels hard and probably like not protocol like yeah i wonder why it's just like i guess they were maybe what you said earlier they were sort of writing the rule book as they went exactly yeah. so after this they, they got, saw his reaction they were like they were like ooh, i think we overstepped we overstepped you know that what? one wouldn't do it the same way twice <laughs> you know what you live you learn Alanis. So after this, over 160 police officers from several suburban Chicago police departments, assisted by numerous local volunteers, conducted a search of the crime scene. So like hundreds of people went through the crime scene. They discovered nothing. And it was criticized because you're having like completely untrained people just like tromping through Uh a crime scene. So nothing is found. The girls had their autopsy the next day, and they were performed by three experienced forensic pathologists who spent five hours with each body. They were not able to find a date or cause of death, and the injuries that were inflicted upon them, they believe, was like a rodent infestation or just like... Like the bruises and stuff and everything? What they did find that I think is interesting is that the girls' stomachs' contents were of the last known meals and snacks the girls ate at home in theater. So it was like popcorn. Oh. So, so like totally that night. So, yeah, five hours somehow. So because they didn't have, like, a real cause of death, it is listed as murder, but they're ruled as a combination of shock and exposure, which, like, I'm discovering shock and exposure is kind of, like, the catch-all for, like, if people are found in, like, cold weather. Because they didn't notice... Yeah, all the wounds, like, were most likely inflicted after the death. Did they do, like, rape kits? Did they do that in the 50s? So, they did do that. So, a couple things. The toxicology report came back that they were clean, no drinks, drugs, poison. Clothes that the girls were wearing was were never found. Their bodies were described by the pathologist as being markedly clean. The autopsies also discovered that Barbara had likely engaged in sexual intercourse, either consensually or unconsensually, around the time of her death, although no evidence of forcible molestation was found. Where? Yeah, so, like, it's pretty peculiar. So, one of the coroners, he believes that the girls were there for three weeks, in that before the last snowfall was January 9th, and it only just melted, and that's when the bodies were discovered. Now, even with all this information, there was this rogue police officer, this chief investigator for Cook County Corner, Harry Gloss. You guys can't see, but Harry has, like, two pistols. Harry Gloss, dirty Harry. Like, Harry is, like, you know what? He's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. And he takes all this finding from the corner, from the three pathologists, and he's like, you know what? No. No. I reject that I So he disagreed with, like, basically everything. He disagreed with the official time of the death. He later stated to the media that there had been numerous marks of violence on those girls' faces, and they are not from rodents. Like, he's like, something that is not a rodent. And he was like, these wound marks are not being actively investigated enough. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not being found. Um, And he believes that there's evidence that the girls were beaten prior to the murder. Um, he also stated that both girls had been subjected to sexual assaults during their period of captivity. So he's, like, fully he changing the narrative. Story. He added that the autopsy conducted upon Patricia. So the 12-year-old had discovered semen within the vaginal fluid swathed from her body and that curdled milk had also been found in Barbara's stomach, 
when she is not known to have drunk milk either at her home or at the cinema on the evening of December 28th. Yeah, nobody wants milk with popcorn. No, there's enough butter in there. Yeah. So Gloss would also claim that the investigators had refused to disclose these, these like sort of ideas of sexual assault due to the desire to protect the girl's reputation and their families. Okay. He also said that there was a thin layer of ice found on the girl's bodies. Wow. So he believes that they had been alive at least until at least January 7th. And he says it's because of like the weather. It was the only date that had been a sufficient enough snowfall to react with the girl's natural body heat to create that like layer of ice that they discovered on the girls. He believes that these girls were not being shown in an accurate light. I mean, there's so many rumors and I do think in these stories that we talk about that people will like, find ways to separate themselves from victims like this and will be like, they were doing this bad. I don't do that. I'm safe. Like, I think that's like a really common practice of people. I just like can't keep forgetting that these are like 12 and 15 year old Mm -hmm. girls, but apparently numerous McKinley park residents said both the girls regularly visited bars on 36th street and Archer Avenue and persuaded older men to like buy them drinks and like take it out and give it to them. Like, Oh, interesting. But other investigators were like, there's no evidence that these girls were like not goody two shoes, like common 15, 12 year olds. The point is it doesn't really matter. It's more that you can't ignore evidence of them being beaten you can't ignore evidence of sexual assault yeah you're not going to get anywhere and it doesn't matter why you would or wouldn't ignore that or what pictures you're trying to paint just fucking just like solve it dirty harry well that's what's so tough is it's like again if they really spoke to three hundred thousand people like the fact that it wasn't focused and like there was not a lot of follow-through it just feels like information yeah. overload and like everyone wants to strangers help. on the street and, and be like, like what do you know you these girls? Happened? And everybody wants <laughs> like, to be a fucking hero. Like, I'll give my two cents. Yeah, well, let me tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Harry Gloss ended up being fired. Oh, Harry. By uh, the coroner. And he thinks it was politically motivated, blah, blah, blah. Gloss would later be deputized by a sheriff who, like, agreed with his ideas about the girls, to continue to work on the case without pay. It feels like within the police department, there were, like, people that were, like, the people separated Mm -hmm. in a weird way. And so Harry was fired by the coroner who was like, I have the receipts. Like, the popcorn was in the stomach. And he was like, but curdled milk. And so factions, I think, were drawn. At this point, people are just, like, pulling at hairs. So I'm going to get back to this guy, Edward Lee Bedwell. We talked about him. He was the one that apparently was the car. Basically, he's originally from Tennessee. He got evicted from his family's home in November 56. He was a part-time dishwasher, and he was tall, and he looked like Elvis Presley. Okay. Okay, so that's the tea on Bedwell. According to the owners of a restaurant that he worked in that he was a part-time dishwasher, um, he and a young male had been on the premises. It was a friend. And they were on the premises in the company of two girls who physically resembled the Grimes girls on the early morning of December 30th. The owners of the restaurant, like, told the police Bedwell was arrested right after and was in the interrogation room for, like, three days. Initially, he denied that he was with any of those girls, and then he was charged with the murders after signing a 14-page confession. According to Bedwell, after several days in the girls' company, shortly after he and his companion had fed the sisters hot dogs, they had beaten the girls and then... They fed them hot dogs and then beat them up. <laughs> Wait, sorry. It's just, just, like, weird. I'm... <laughs> It's so you're funny. Like you're like, it so you're like in it. Like, it's like shortly in, after. Thank you. Because sometimes you like go in this rabbit hole and you're like, this is all the information, information, information. Yeah, but yes, they like, fed them hot wait. dogs and then beat them. That is a lot. It's, it's an aggressive. It's a lot. You know, you wonder, what's that about? They like fed him hot dogs, beat the girls, threw them in a ditch when the sisters rejected their sexual advances, which that is interesting to me. So they fed them hot dogs and beat them up and didn't rape them. Well, they beat them up. They killed them because they rejected. So I don't know if they like, anyway. So the mother, after reading his confession, was like, hell no, those aren't my girls. My girls are not drinkers. Like, which I know, like, moms can be, I don't know about that. Um, So 
Willingham, the guy who was the acquaintance with Bedwell, um, he admitted to being around him and the two girls, but he denied the girls were the Grimes sisters. So they fed somebody else hot dogs. And, and beat, beat them up. Else yeah, up. they fed some other girls. <laughs> but Bedwell actually later recanted his admission, being like, I was in interrogation for three days. He was also semi-illiterate. And so three, he was like, I thought if I just signed it, I could go home. Right. And so subsequently they released him because the autopsy reports, um, like, no, there's no hot dog in this body. Yeah. So exactly. That's what it says. It says yeah. the, the, the reports were like, there's no alcohol or hot dogs found in either of the girl's bodies. Those um, and the girls were not beaten to death. That's right. not what happened. Also, Bedwell, he clocked into his company on the night of on like 4, 19 PM on December 28th. And he clocked out, at 12.30 a.m. So he was at work. So he was at work. During, like, when they left. That would have been a faster thing to say than your weird-ass hot dog story. But the hot dog story so is good. Time, yeah, but, you know. I just wanted to, like, lead you down a hole. Well, so did he. I mean, why do you share that? That's also, like, why did you... Because he was, was kind of an idiot. Confession? I think he was an idiot. But he looked like Elvis, so... <laughs> but he looked like Elvis... Well, anyway, basically he was acquitted. He was freed on a $20,000 bond, but the same year of his acquittal, he would be tried and acquitted of a 1956 rape of a 13-year-old girl in Oak Hill, Florida. He died November 1972. So, like, he just is, like, a bad dude, a sketchy dude who liked young girls. And I think he was, like, you seen one young girl, you seen them all. I think he got confused. About like the girls so he was with being the grime sisters. Like I might have done that. It sounds like he was like sign, admit it, blah blah blah, to get out of there. But I right. think he was like his friend was like, yeah, we were with young girls, but it wasn't those girls. Okay. This other guy, Max Fleeg, is a seventeen-year-old suspect, and he was one of the prime suspects because of his age. But he was protected by Illinois laws, which prevented juveniles from polygraph tests. But um. The Chicago police captain ended up persuading him to take the polygraph test. In the course of it, he allegedly confessed to the murders, but with no legal means of using this test as evidence against him, police were forced to release him without charge. He was later jailed for an unrelated murder of a young woman. That feels like a hot tip. Walter Kranz was another guy. He was 53-year-old. And he was a psychic who called the police on July 5th, or January 15th. And was like, both sisters are dead and you're going to find them in like the unincorporated area of Lyons Township. Fun fact, Lyons Township was the high school I went to. <laughs> that is a fun fact. So he called and they were like, oh shit. He knew they were found in that. And he said the park described by Kranz in the telephone call would be about one mile from the actual location where the girls were found one week later. Whoa. When I he got a lot of birthday party bookings after that. <laughs> He was like a hot ticket in the 50s scene. Hire that psychic. Hire that psychic. When questioned, he informed police, me and my ancestors, we possess psychic powers. Um, and he had experienced this particular vision after a night of heavy drinking. Would you love that if like your... That was my... That was your power. It's like you just power. get blackout drunk and you're like, I know where someone was murdered. I test um, that all the time to see if it's my power. <laughs> That's why I black out drink. Just to see. Nothing yet, but it's my due diligence. I have to keep going. Well, it's a journey to find out. It it's is. a journey. It's been one. I'll tell it's you. It's a journey to the past and to the future. Yep. So he denied any involvement. Which comes first. And, and he was released. He was okay. released. He was like, no. This is spooky. So like five months later, mm -hmm. the girl's mother received an anonymous phone call from an individual who claimed to have undressed and killed her daughters. Like, I don't know if this is a prank or real, but like, prank. what sick fuck would ever do anything like that? Right? Prank. It might have been a prank because they received numerous hoax phone calls. Um, but this particular phone call ridiculed police efforts to blame Edward Bedwell. So he was like, that guy definitely didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And he ended his phone call with information saying, I know something about your little girl that no one else does, not even the police. The smallest girl's toes were crossed at the feet. This caller then laughed before ending the call. Well, were they? It sounds like they were, because no one was like, what a liar, because it's that noteworthy. 
Then a year later, the mother stated that her daughters had been murdered by an individual they had known. Like, the mom was like, you know what? It was someone they know because my daughters would not, um, would never have entered a vehicle with someone they didn't know. And that's just usually the case. Right. So it sounds like the police were in factions, and so there were different police officers that were continuing to work on it. In, like, 2013, like, the brother basically was, like... 2013? Yeah, 2013, one of the girl's brothers were, like, you know what? So we're talking I think there's about, hope. like, 60 years later. Mm-hmm. Thinking, like, 60. they're going to solve them, yeah. Okay. Um, he's, like, there's still hope. Um, so basically, like, a retired officer in 2013 started, like, looking into it, blah, blah, blah. He found this guy had been a 23-year-old self-confessed child killer named Charles Roy Melquist, who had been a considered a suspect in the sister's abduction in 1957. It sounds like there were a lot of fucking suspects of 300,000 people. But this one, to me, I felt fishy about it. I felt a little like, hmm. So he was convicted of murdering the 1958 murder of a 15-year-old girl named Bonnie Lee Scott, who he knew prior and... Her decapitated body was found two months after the disappearance, less than 10 miles from where the girls were found. So there was like some parallels between Bonnie Lee Scott's and then Patrician Barber's murder. There was some potential. And the day after Bonnie Lee Scott's body was discovered, the mom received another phone call. He claimed responsibility for Bonnie's death. And he said, I've committed another perfect crime. This is another one those cops won't solve, and they're going to fix it among Bedwell and Barry Cook. So brought up the old suspects from the Grimes sisters. Mm-hmm. She remained adamant. Um, the mother was like that the same person who contacted her, who revealed um, the deformity upon one of her daughter's feet, which had never been released to the press or the public. She said, I will never forget that voice. And it was the same person that called. So, like, those two calls were from the same person. Um, He was never, Charles Melquist was never charged with involvement of the death of the Grimes sisters. And he died in 2010. When her daughters died and their bodies were found, mom could not work. It was horrible. But, like, the community got together and raised a bunch of money so that they could bury their daughters and pay off the mortgage of the home because she had five other kids Mm -hmm. and the funeral home waived all the fees of the funeral of the girls and they are buried side by side at holy sepulcher cemetery in worth illinois which i actually think i have family members buried there the murder of the grimes sisters it was the most labor-intensive missing person case in cook county and remains one of chicago's most famous cold cases Whoa. The death of the Grimes sisters. I feel like that mom knows who did it, though. I don't know. All those people that saw that day, like, who took them and, like, those sightings. Those sightings are a little annoying. There's just too many people that wanted to offer. But again, like, I I think anyone would. Like, if there was an inkling of me that's like, I might have seen that person, I think anyone would be like, I'd be remiss. I think, like, the weird letter the girl wrote being like, we saw them get abducted and we didn't say anything like to the advice columnist. It's like wackadoodle do. I mean, but they were like 12, 15 years old. Like when you're 12, you think you're going to get in trouble for anything. Right. So what I'm doing, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a departure, but I don't know if you only have a, a three episode podcast that no one's heard. Is there such a thing as a departure? No. I don't know. So I'm doing... Um, we'll see what the fans say. We'll see the comments. Yeah, we'll, we'll check out all the response we get online. So this is going to be a little chit-chat about the movie The Shining. So I hope you guys have seen it. I've I, never seen The Shining. I know. I'm a bad kid. Well, I know why. This is going to spoil it for you. But I already know what happens, I think, because I started reading the book. Tell me what you think happens in The Shining. <laughs> So I think what happens is, so Jack Nicholson, I'm going to call yes. him Jack. Yeah. His name is Jack. His name is Jack. Love that. His character his name son, is Jack. What's so his son's name? Danny and Danny. Danny. The actor's name is Danny. Character, Danny. Okay. So what I read the beginning of it was like, basically Jack is like this depressed writer mm-hmm. and he goes to this Colorado hotel that is completely isolated from... Like, 
everyone. Yes. And there's no way to get to it, especially in the winter. The roads freeze over. So you're like, and the people like kind of intaking or interviewing him were like, listen, this place is bad. And like, there's mysterious sort of happenings about like what happened to the previous person. Sure. And Jack's like, it's fine. I'm bringing my, my son and my wife. I'll have company. But his son, Danny, meanwhile, is like a fucking special kid. Danny can see shit. Ghosts like point where shit is. So what I think happens. I love this. Go in on. The Shining is that Jack goes and like starts doing the maintenance and everything. Mm-hmm. And then they like were noting like sometimes the heat and the gas, like all that stuff happens. The place makes him crazy. And Danny sees everything like at work. Because mm-hmm. Danny's like super susceptible to this. Mm-hmm. And so Danny sees what's happening to Jack, but can't stop it. And Jack right. is also, like, a depressed individual. Like, he right. also tried to kill himself, and he also beat up Danny at one point in the book. Sorry. Go on. This no, like... this is great. I'm, I'm... And so I think Jack ends up going crazy. I want to know where you're at, so this is perfect. And then Jack, I think, goes crazy and uh-huh. says, here's Johnny. Yep. And... That happens. There's a lot of screaming because... There's two twins. And Definitely. Also true. They're in weird matching outfits in a weird hallway. That's what twins do. And. You know what? You know enough that I feel inclined to move forward. Is that right? What I want to say right? is if anyone hasn't seen The Shining, that that was the perfect description of it. Um, <laughs> only because you could still see it and be, uh, you know, gently surprised, I think. I mean, I think for me, it's like I wanted to read the book so I knew what I was getting into because scary movies scare me. Well, here's the thing. I think if you're going to see the movie, this is going to be interesting because it will give you some fun things to look for in the movie. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong about any of the things you said. I would go further to just say it's it's a, a movie about... A man's descent into Cuckoosville, He's for like, sure. Goes crazy. And the Shining refers to a special ability that his son has. Yeah. That is sort of like he's psychic, but he also has all these kind of strange. He has an imaginary friend named Tony that he says lives in his mouth, and that's when he like changes his voice and makes it talk through his finger and is like red rum, and like. Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance. And, like, talks to the mom through his finger like he's this other person, Tony. (laughs) I'm not going to go into what the whole movie is, but I am going to tell you some of the fun, like, fan theories about it. People love this movie. People fucking love this movie. And they should. It's a cool movie. But they definitely want it to be more than what it is and maybe that could be true i'm not here to discount anything i'm just here to present you know what i'm here to present the facts and the complete non-facts i'm here to present the facts of people's opinions the facts of people's opinions (laughs) are you ready and i got a lot of this information from room 237 which is a documentary about it which is awesome and fun reddit vulture mental floss and a really cool Rob Ager, I think is his name, A-G-E-R. He has, like, this website called Collative Learning, and it is a deep, deep, deep dive. If you don't want to read everything on his website because it's too much for you, I'd still recommend some of his, like, YouTube videos, which are fascinating and fun and spliced with, like, scenes from the movie to further explain, like, what he sees as happening. Um, And he's, I don't think he'd be mad at me for saying this. Rob, don't be mad but you're obsessed. Good for you, though. Um, obviously, Stephen King wrote The Shining, yeah. and Kubrick, he read the book, but he didn't even write the screenplay, I guess, that King wrote. I know there was, like, disagreement yeah. between Kubrick and... He one time called, like, Stephen King's writing weak, and then Stephen King said he was really disappointed in The Shining. Stephen King still says, like, in book tours and stuff, that Stanley Kubrick would call him at 7 in the morning... And he would say, like, I think stories of the supernatural are fundamentally optimistic, don't you? If there are ghosts, then it means we've survived death. And then Stephen King asked him, like, well, how do you think hell fits into that picture? And then Kubrick's like, well, I don't believe in hell. Um, So they'd have these kind of strange conversations (laughs) while he was making it. He kind of, like, did certain things in the movie that feel like he's sort of baiting King, like, like, teasing him. Wasn't okay, he, like, super is... manipulative on set, too, to the actors as well? Super mean, like, especially... Well, he was actually, like... 
What's her name, the actor? Shelley Duvall. He she was like, so aggressive and weird with her. Yeah. He was definitely, like, picking on her in a way that feels fucked up and, like, buddy, buddy, buddy with Jack. Yeah. But that, that starts to be, like, do you think it was... Well, was it? Because, like, a bunch of people that have worked with Kubrick say he's not like that. So there's this other angle that, like, he might have been trying to make her, uh, like, elicit a specific performance from her. Yeah. So he was, like, being, like, extra nasty weirdo to her so that she would, like, act extra cuckoo and frazzled in the film, which if you watch her performance, I mean, he got that for sure. I don't know if he needed her to do. He would have her do things like 127 takes of a scene where she's swinging a bat at him. That doesn't seem very necessary. You're like, are you sure you didn't get it on the 116th take? But that aside, I was just going to say that um, he changed a lot of things from the book to the film. In the book, the snow cat, which is like the big thing they drive in the snow to get out mm-hmm. is yellow and Jack's slug bug is red. And in the movie, he flipped it. The slug bug's yellow and the snow cat's red. But then when Dick Holleran, which is um, like this older black guy that also has the shining that like becomes kind of friends with the little boy and talks mm-hmm. to him about it. So he figures out they're in trouble and drives up in a blizzard and he passes a red slug bug that's been crushed by an 18 wheeler, which is just, you can tell oh, that that was so aggressive. It's not, yeah, it's weird, right? And there's just things like that that you're like, that's not an accident. Like, that's what I think what's interesting about the movie is when you read about who Kubrick was, everything is intentional that's in the movie. Yeah. So it's okay to deep dive because it wasn't made frivolously. So it's kind of fun to be like, well, all right, I just saw another decision. Why? Why was the decision made? Listen, the made-for-TV one that is King is, like, really remarkably bad, I thought. <laughs> remarkably bad. Well, how can you, like, I feel like you can't really, I mean, you can't, like, go back. Because The Shining is, like, such a yes iconic film that cinephiles all over the world like to tell me you've never seen it. We should see it, though, because it is great. Um, And now you're going to be really into it because I'm going to tell you some stories. One thing that's interesting. So, like, the creepy creep room is room 237. Everyone, like, makes a big deal about the number and wants to find things in that. But one thing that's sort of funny is that the events were actually set in room 217. And then they went to use this place, Oregon Timberline Lodge, not for the whole shoot because they shot that, like, mostly in Estes Park, I think. But they go to Timberland Lodge, and they're like, can we use the outside for a couple shots? And they're like, yeah, but do us a favor, change the room number to 237, because our rooms don't go up that high. We don't want a real room number we have in the hotel being used, because we don't want to creep the guests out. And then super ironically, people heard about that, and now number 217 is requested more often than any other room at the Timberline, which is so weird. Of course it Um, is. Of course. People love getting spooked. Do you know the motif of, like, he's trying to write, he's trying to write, she comes in and finds his writing at one point in the film, and it's all these pages that say, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy? I didn't know that's what they all said. That's fucking weird. Over and over again, over and over again. Like, typed out in different patterns and in different paragraphs. What's interesting is, I guess... He had them change it when he knew it was being released in other countries. And, like, in the German version, it's don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. And in the Spanish one, it's although one will rise early, it won't dawn sooner. And in Italian, he who wakes up early meets a golden day. (laughs) None of them quite so scary, I feel. Right? Not nearly as scary. But what I love about that is I remember when I was geeking out on Harry Potter between the sixth and seventh book. Mm Mm-hmm. When we were talking about Regulus A. Black, the necklace, I can remember people being like, I looked in the Spanish version, and it's R-A-N. And they changed from black to negro, the, like, Spanish word for black. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, to find the horcrux. That was, like, I remember, like, using another language to be, like, did it translate? What is that? What's Whoa. The You're a super dork. Super duper. So it makes sense if you would be like, what are the different languages? Because you can get to the bottom of it. Oh, another fun fact for you. Mm-hmm. When they finished shooting this movie, a fire broke out and destroyed a bunch of the sets in a crazy way. It was like an 11 alarm fire or whatever. And it, <laughs> 11 alarm fire. Yes. Does it say 11 alarm? Yeah. I thought Vegas was like six alarm. It was an 11 alarm. What is it? It's like. It costs 
million. And that's just weird because um, I think that's interesting because Kubrick, a uh, huge spoiler alert's coming up, but this whole thing's spoiler. Realistically, I should have seen it already. Of, it's your own fault. You did this to yourself. At the end of the book, the hotel blows up or like there's a fire. But at the end of the movie, that's not how he chose to end it. And so it's interesting that this fire happened. Oh, weird. Right? It's just yeah. weird because they're like, sorry, it does end in fire. Anyway. Was it just Stephen King who came over and he was like... <laughs> he was like, pranked <laughs> you. Got you. You crushed my red bug. Boys I burn your will hotel. be boys. <laughs> There's also this weird thing where the way that the hotel works structurally, like the architecture... It doesn't work. So there are weird things where they'll show you go walking down a hall, but the hall couldn't exist because we just came from a room. It's like hard to explain out loud no, where there's like sense. windows facing the exterior. And so you're like, that hall couldn't exist. It would be coming from the outside. Yeah. Or there's things like they show that there's an office that's central in the hotel. There were things on all sides of it, but the office inexplicably has a window facing the outside world but you know that it's surrounded by walls on all sides like it's interior we just creepy shit like that and i think all of that when you look at the kid going down the hall and the trike you're realizing like the setup for like one of the creepiest rooms it wouldn't work it's not big enough the room they've left that when you walk into the space, they're showing something bigger than what could possibly exist. And I think the whole thing is just to make you, like, super duper uneasy mm. and not know why. Like, your brain can't make the structure of this place make sense. There's so many continuity issues in this movie, and I just can't believe when you hear that he's done 127 takes to get something just right. It's totally incongruous that then he's, like, making weird mistakes left and right. He just had, like, a really bad location scout. Like, what if that was what the was. other thing? Is he was stealing from was like, I hired my, my brother. Cousin, my cousin's Never kid. again. Here's a couple fun little claims I want to explore. One is that Stanley Kubrick really wanted to condemn America's treatment of Native Americans. The film is actually, like, filled with Native American imagery. There's rugs and Native American artwork everywhere. And there's a really specific line in the film where they're walking outside the hotel and the guy says that it was on an ancient Indian burial ground. That's not part of the book at all. So you're like, eh, why include it? And then there's kind of, like, less obvious things like Calumet baking soda cans in the pantry that they show Mm -hmm. that has a picture of a Native American on it. And Calumet, I guess, means peace pipe. And they really draw your attention to those canisters more than once. And then, like, if you think that way, then they go on to say, like, the elevator of blood symbolizes um, seizing of the Native American land and killing them. And the hotel, you know, that they used was in Estes Park. And so the team did a bunch of research on the town and the hotel's history, which had a lot of Navajo tribe tensions in the early 1900s. So I don't think that's even far reaching. I actually just think it it all falls in line with kind of who Kubrick was, I guess. I don't even know if you could call that a conspiracy theory. It's sort of just like an interesting thing that I think is part of the film. Ditto this theory that like everyone is obsessed with like talking about how it's about child abuse. Like that that part's not explored enough. Mm. And that probably Danny was being sexually abused. Some of them are more far reaching. Like there's a scene where Danny's lying on a pillow and it's like kind of deliberately shown that the pillow has a bare face on it. In a way where, why would you choose to have him lie on that pillow? It's actually sort of distracting in the shot. Mm -hmm. And then later on, there's a really creepy moment in the hotel where um, Shelley Duvall sees a man in a bear costume performing fellatio on a man in a suit. And it's sort of like these two bear symbols. And then if you look more into bears, it's like there is a picture of two bears over the child's bed over what's going to be Danny's bedroom in the hotel. Hmm. Do you think that's where the term bears came from? Yes. Gay bears? Gay bears. That is actually the scariest moment, I think, in the movie, is seeing the weird blowjob scene, just because it feels so creepy, and so it's unattached to everything else in this way that just gives you, like, the extra creeps. 
You're really making me not want to watch this movie. Um, I feel creepy. I feel scary. There's like a frame of Danny brushing his teeth where you're looking at him through the door. And that's how you see the fellatio scene (gasps) later. It's like through a doorway. And it feels like the decisions of like cinematography like mirror each other in a way where you feel like he's trying to say something. That kid was five when he filmed it and they didn't tell him it was a scary movie. They told him it was a drama. This was weird too. There's one point where the mom goes into the basement and there's hardcore porn pictures up on the wall and they're next to choking pictures. Like there's this whole thing of like Danny getting choked and her being like, it's the dad that did it. And then Danny being like, no, it's the woman in a bathtub. And her grabbing onto that and then going to the dad and being like, he says it was this woman in a bathtub hiding in a hotel room. There's something about that that feels like if it's true, that it would be like a comment on a woman that knows her kid is being abused and is always looking for a different thing to blame it on. Mm, Yeah. Because also at the beginning, he sees like a psychiatrist and she kind of like discounts the abuse that's been happened as well. We don't know. I mean... We don't know. Yeah. But it seems like it. So it's sort of like, is this whole story about abuse? Like, are all the scary things that happen just about abuse is kind of like one of the angles. I think it's an interesting one. And I, I don't think that they need to be mutually exclusive, I guess. I think it's like the Native Americans. It's like, this is just another layer to the movie. Oh, one thing that is super weird, though, that makes you think... Yeah, it's definitely about more than meets the eye. Is that when Jack goes into the interview to be the whatever groundskeeper, he's waiting in the lobby of the hotel and he's reading a magazine. And the magazine is Playgirl, which is super weird because what hotel would be like, and we'll put a Playgirl in the lobby. But also, you're going for a job. I got to tell you, hot And tip. you're going for a job. Don't read Playgirl no. in a job interview. Probably no. Probably not going to be great. So obviously movie nerds zoomed in on the playgirl figured out what issue it was and there's a cover article that is incest why parents sleep with their children and that's a cover article on that exact playgirl so you're like why did they throw that magazine into the mix again just pretty sure it wasn't an accident super weird fucking thing to throw in there right for sure okay the rest of these get progressively a little bit more unhinged but we're gonna go there my favorite one is the moon the moon landing you guys so the idea would be that like kubrick helped stage the moon landing and that people (laughs) decided that because like 2001 a space odyssey was used as a research and development project to actually do the the moon landing footage is the idea and that like kubrick was like oh, I feel so bad that I helped perpetrate this huge fraud that is the moon landing that I just need to find a way to tell everybody about this. And the way I'm going to tell them is through The Shining. I feel like The Shining is a catch-all. Like, it's it's kind of a catch-all for everything that he was like, I really want to explore this. Let's add that, add it, add it, And, like, the things are a little weak. Like, they're like, oh, there's a lot of tang in the, like, cans in the room where they had food. And, And astronauts love tang. (laughs) <laughs> so that was like in the pantry. Well, they found that one out. That one really got them. And the twins symbolize the failed Gemini space missions. That feels like that's okay. That's this sneaking. you know how they changed the room two seventeen and two thirty seven. Yeah. Well, the moon is two hundred and thirty seven thousand miles from Earth. It's not exactly two hundred thirty seven thousand miles. I'm sorry. They round it up, or they're like two hundred thirty seven and. 217.54 like there's no way the... I mean is it exact we should look it up <laughs> and then the last thing is that Danny does show up in a couple scenes like wearing a little knit sweater that says Apollo 11 which is pretty on the nose but then the people that are like oh the movie's about sexual abuse are like it's a phallic symbol so who knows <laughs> Maybe it's just a sweater, like, everybody. Or it's, or it's just Maybe it's a just a sweater indicative of the time because that shit, like, changed the world, the moon landing. Okay, here's my other little things. The Holocaust. Number That's 42. That's not a little thing, Quinn. That's 19- not a little thing. <laughs> here's my other here's little thing. Here's my other things. little thing. Let's talk about the Holocaust. <laughs> oh I wasn't, you know what, wasn't a fan myself. 
Did not. Did not appreciate. Did not approve. Truly Dark and Creepily does not approve of any Holocaust. And we will not be featuring the Holocaust as one of our stories. <laughs> I can promise oh you that. God. With some this assurity. This little thing. Yeah. That was bad. <laughs> Nazis initiated the final solution in 1942. And that number is like prominent. It's on one of Danny's shirts. There's the number of cars in the parking lot. The film that Danny and his mom watch at some point is the summer of 42. This is a real stretch. If you multiply room 237, Stop. 2 times 3 times 7, it equals 42. 42. Danny says red rum in the movie. How many times, Carrie? 42 times? Wouldn't it be weird if it was a different number? I yes, I was leaving you there. Well, it could have been 237. And if you multiply, did you hear if you multiply 2 by 3 by 7, you get 42. The typewriter that Jack uses is a German-made typewriter with an eagle on it. Ooh. Jack wears an eagle t-shirt in another scene with a Nazi emblem. Those are all the evidences I have of that. That feels like a stretch. That feels like, you know what, I actually feel like I'm like, which one of you clowns is like, I know what I'm going to search for. (laughs) I also just love the idea of someone's like, I'm going to count how many times he says red rum. Has anyone double checked that math? No. Do you want to? That should be one thing we should do. (laughs) We could do it as a drinking game. Should we live treat The Shining? 42 shots. That's too many. Um, Sips of beer. Sips of rosé. Sips of rosé. Sure. Okay. We'll let everyone know how many times we sip our rosé during the screening. Also, we need to play the movie backward because that's another thing they think. They would play it backward while it plays forward and overlay it. <laughs> Sounds very difficult to We're do. We're going to need multiple computers. That is so... God, I love well, it. Well, you know, the, the red the rum. It's like red rum backwards is murder, so they had to see what it well, looked I like. I actually didn't know that. I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> Could you imagine? Carrie, get I, again, with the program. I can tell you, spoiler alerts don't exist if the movie is this fucking old. That's how I feel. People got really stoked on M. Night Shyamalan's Sixth Sense and being like, every time there's red, a dead person is around. And people were like, there's so many other movies that are like that. There's got to be. Let's watch them again. There are weird things he did. Okay, one weird thing he did that I can't figure out why he did in the all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. So somebody hand typed those. He used those. wingdings. <laughs> yeah, why use wingdings? Because you couldn't even read it that all work and You have to no be play. serious. You Times be, New Roman. It's either comic. I want I wanted all of it to be comic, comic? sans. No, you can't do comic sans. <laughs> no, but it was weird because all of them you could read and then there's just one wingding. <laughs> One accidental wing line oh, of wingding. Oh, but and I read wingding. So we're not watching. You knew it. right away. I'm gonna live tweet in wingding. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna see if you can translate it. Please do. <laughs> so yeah, so it's the wing is when. No, but he did wingding. type a couple lines like are misspelled. They're misspelled where it says adult boy, and that's weird only because if you're trying to say adult. D-U-L-L, and you say adult by accident, the T is not close to the L on the keyboard, and if you already hit the L successfully, it doesn't seem hard to hit it again. So that seems weird. Like, what's the message? Why does it say all work and no play adult go, boy? I'm going to go back to abuse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call that an abuse. Okay, back. that's an abuse theory. All right, I'll file Contact, that. Contact, what's his name, the guy who did this? Rob Ager. Rob, not It might be Ager. I could be saying it wrong. Here's the thing. There are cuckoo things that I was like, why did he do that? Things like they'll show someone running down a hall and there'll be a giant mirror at the end of the hall and they'll show a scene later in that hall and the mirror will be gone. It's a big fuck all heavy ass mirror. Why did you take it down? There has to be like an image or a reason or a message. And they'd same with there's like a big bear rug in one of the rooms well, that's bear, in most we... of the shots and then not in the others. Isn't that the bear that was getting filleted? That's a different bear. There's several bears in this film. There's even a Winnie the Pooh doll. Don't get me started on the Winnie the Pooh doll. We can't eat. We don't have time to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. It's a lot of weird cartoon stuff. There's a scene in Danny's room where you see his little kid door and he's got cartoon stickers everywhere and one of the stickers is of I think Dopey the dwarf and in the next scene 
everything's the same, but the dwarf sticker's gone. And you know what? I love the idea that these are all like, cons- but I'm like, what are they just to make just you? Fearless? And what if it was him being like, I just want you to feel extra weird the whole time. Also, people say he was part of the Illuminati. Oh, I love an Illuminati. We gotta do well, like a and joint that he was research killed, on the Illuminati. That he was killed after Eyes Wide Shut came out. That was like the whole thing. He got. He told us too much with that film. So maybe we should do a double header: The we Shining, should... Eyes Wide Shut. I don't know, but more more importantly, me and you should team up on Illuminati. We should do a whole episode on a little of Illuminati. I would love to do that. Lastly, something is in the blood when the elevators open. There's a lot of conspiracies that, like, something else is in there. And the idea is maybe it's Tony. Maybe it's Tony. Oh, Red Rum. Red Rum. I mean, he's in his mouth, and the elevator looks like a mouth. Because there's, like, creepy, like, dials above it that show the floors. I don't know what those are called that look kind of like eyes. When the elevator opens and all the blood comes out, it's like there's something in there. Also, he says that the guy's daughters are 8 and 10 that lived there before that killed his kids and then he cast twins so you're like why twins are scary i mean maybe it was simple i think there's a lot of overthinking going on and also well that dress they only could get it in those two sizes the dresses was very specific maybe it was just one size they only had one size fits all and they want to make sure it looked the same so they had to make the all was a one was was just one and they did two people that look the same that look that are one Mm -hmm. twins Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure I've never seen twins it, so are I feel scary. Like I'm incredible. If I got pregnant with twins, I have I'd rather drown in an twins. elevator of blood. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, God bless. What's cool about these twins? They're fraternal, so yeah. they're not as creepy. But they have two separate birthdays. Oh, that's good. That's kind of nice, I though. Like have it. your own day. Independence. Yeah. Independence Day for each of them. Yeah, and I think you don't get so mad if you get your own birthday party. Although, being the parents, that's pretty rough. I feel like Double those birthday kids party. are going to have like midnight parties often where they're going to be like, at midnight, they're both going to kind of be like, it's my birthday. You know what I mean? Totally. 11.59, t- midnight. Can we like call that years. the creepy thing that happened to you this week? You had twin nephews i have twin their birthday was a couple weeks ago their two their first birthday was a couple happy weeks birthday. ago happy birthday to jack and liam i love them very much the best was jack named for mm-hmm. the shining and liam was for liam hemsworth oh beautiful <laughs> could you imagine it was like jack is named after the shining character and liam's liam hemsworth <laughs> they're big miley cyrus fans <laughs> I've been watching Succession. Love that. Love that show. Oh, and The Righteous Gemstones. Do you love that? I love it. It's wonderful. It is funny and uncomfortable in a way that makes me so happy. (laughs) Oh, it. I love it. And I just can't believe how good TV is. I feel old when I say that, but I'm like, TV got good. TV got good. Is good. I'm rewatching Gilmore Girls right now because I need some levity in my life. <laughs> I've never seen an app to be really? honest with you. Oh, it's so fun. Lauren Graham is so fucking good. Maybe we should put Gilmore Girls on one computer and The and Shining, Shining on, on the other, other and play it simultaneously. I'm sure we're gonna figure. We're gonna crack some fucking thing people gonna, don't want us to well, know. I've, Probably we'll figure out the whole Illuminati thing right there. <laughs> Aw, thanks for sharing those stories. That makes me want to watch it, but also I don't want to watch it because it's too scary. Thank you. Thank you, readers. Thank you, dear readers. And please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, substantiate. Just, like, show us that you know we're here, and we'll show you that we know you're here. Yeah, it's it's a give and take, okay? You know what I mean? It's a give and take. But this has been another episode of Truly. Darkly. Creepily. Thanks for joining us.